Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company. We're a movement of artists and patrons who believe in the power of beauty to evangelize our culture. And we're so pumped you're here. In an unprecedented move, I decided to start this episode with Father Ryan Adorjan uh, with a game, Two Truths and a Lie. And I'm not going to tell you too much of how that went down. I can at least say this, that Father Ryan Adorjan impressed me. He very much impressed me. And this was our segue into continuing to answer many of your brilliant questions, listener questions that have been coming in really for the last few weeks. And we're so pleased and so honored to get to answer them. Today, we really hone in on ecumenism, okay, which is sort of this authentic unity that we're supposed to see and fight for within the church, but also just the role of unity in our culture, in our country. What does it really mean to be one? And I think this is obviously a very difficult question to navigate, especially right now in our world where we don't have many integrating principles. We don't have much that unites us as an American culture or as a Western culture, frankly, even as a Christian culture. So today we dive into it, that and many other questions. I hope you enjoy this episode. In the meantime, enjoy this little tune from Marie Miller off of her 2020 album, Little Dreams. It's called More Than What I See. I hate everything I am till I'm the only one unforgiven. How's that lemonade there, Father Ron? Where's it from? Well, we've been working years on uh, our own Love Good Lemonade. My dad, you know, in his backyard, he's growing tomatoes and, and bananas, actually, plantains to be specific. So just started dropping in some old lemon seeds. And then we figured when the Love Good Mason jars came out, we had to try our own brand of lemon. I'm lying right now. Are you lying to me? Straight to your face, which is a great way to start this. I would like for you to now play a little game with me. Okay. We never play games, you and I. I'm really into games. Two truths and a lie, then. <laughs> Two truths and a lie. Clearly, I, I started with my lie, but uh, I'll start over again. You want to go first? You want me to uh, go no, first? You go first. Okay. I have, um, hmm, I've touched a pope. Number two, I have been rollerblading since I was in eighth grade. Number three, I love Jesus. <sighs> I don't think you've been rollerblading since eighth grade. When you think I started rollerblading? I thought you said you kind of just picked up rollerblading. Or maybe did you say you rediscovered rollerblading, but you almost touched a pope? Well, you're going to have to now decide. Oh, God. Oh, come to my I mean, I gave you a real soft pitch on the last one. Clearly not the lie. You lied to my face. I love Jesus. Okay, that's why I didn't even bring it up. Above all else. I think the lie is that you have been rollerblading since eighth grade. 
You're right. Yes. I've been rollerblading yes. probably since fourth grade. Fourth grade? Longer and actually, than that. where we're going to go tonight, can I just go ahead and speak this into existence? Sure. The Pinellas Trail is a 45-mile greenway from my dad's neighborhood in Tarpon Springs all the way down to St. Petersburg. I've been rollerblading that greenway since I was like fourth or fifth grade. Oh my we gosh. Because we been coming down here for vacations as a family since that, that time. Oh, my gosh. So I'd always pack in my rollerblades into the old conversion van. Play Nintendo 64 the whole way down. And when you get down here, and it was all about the greenway and the rollerblades. It's all about the deep sea fishing and the dog tracks. We, At the same we, time? We went to the dog tracks. Would you deep sea fish on rollerblades? Not a chance. I can hardly stand on my own two feet fishing in the deep sea. I get kind of seasick out there. Okay, I'm ready for my turn to guess you. Two truths and a lie. Mm. That is a sigh of exasperation. Yeah. There's I, no joy in that sigh. Uh, you said you like games. You said you're a big game guy. Yeah, I lied. We're, we're, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number one, I don't like games where you have to come up with things that are very creative on the spot. Okay. Okay. Number two, I taught myself how to play the organ, mm. and I'm pretty good at it. Number three. Number three. I don't like this game. Yeah, you're having to think too hard. Uh, Can I go and guess? Your third one's a lie. Whatever it is. No. <laughs> okay. I'm waiting. The people are waiting. I just lied. <gasps> how? That it wasn't a lie. But it was. Yeah. Wow, that was brilliant. I just matrixed your own that game. That was brilliant. Yes. Okay, that's It just, great. just stresses me out. The games stress me out. You know what amazes me? That that would stress you out and not the inbox currently full of questions from listeners and patrons all over the country. That doesn't stress you out. That probably excites you. It's exciting, yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here staring at like 15. I'm going to have to choose three or four. Maybe we'll get to five this episode. All right. Okay. We got to go back to Brooke too. Yeah, let's begin there actually because that's a big one. She wants to know, she's from Mount Pleasant, Michigan, first of all. Brooke wants to know, how can we live out John 15 and Jesus' call to unity? I think she meant John 17, correct? Yeah. Prayer in the garden. Brooke, is that what you meant? I'm thinking. And then she goes, I often feel like my local church doesn't appreciate ecumenism, and I didn't learn about the goodness in other churches until college. That's yeah. a really good question. Well, first, let's talk about ecumenism. Ecumenism, ecumenical dialogue, is dialogue between... Christian churches, Christian denominations. If a church has apostolic succession, a connection to the apostles of a sacramental order, we would call it a church, an ecclesia. But otherwise, from the Catholic perspective, we call it an ecclesial community, a Christian community. But it's ecumenism is a discussion between all these different communities. And it kind of came into the forefront like around the time of Vatican II, because you're never going to be able to have any kind of anything unless you can talk to each other. The problem or the danger with ecumenism is that it can devolve into pluralism. Which is which is many truths, basically. Everybody's right. Everybody's right a little bit or a lot of it. Mm, at the end of the day, no one's really going to change. But Brooke brought up an excellent point. Jesus speaks in John's gospel and he, he prays to the Father that they may all be one. When I was living in Palestine, we met with a young Muslim man who was our age roughly at the time, 25, 24, something like that. And he was talking to us about what it's like to be living in that part of the world, but also what it's like to be a practicing 
Muslim mm. in the world today. Mm. And he was saying that one of the reasons why he believes that Christianity is false is because its founder, who its members claim is an all-powerful God, prayed that everyone would be one, and yet that group is divided into 35,000 different branches, each claiming to be the true one or to have achieved or found the truth. And he said that for a lot of Muslims in the world today, that fact is very convincing as to the falsity of Christianity. Hmm. Very interesting, I thought. And a good point, (laughs) a very good point. You can look at the history of the church as a matter of splitting off branches, right? From the Catholic perspective, Pope Benedict always emphasized this, that there are elements of truth and sanctification found in other non-Catholic churches. When we say that the Catholic church is the true church, (laughs) the fullness of truth and sanctification, that's what we mean, that there are all these elements of truth and sanctification, and some are found in different places, you know? So the, the question is, you know, remember, you know, the old adage that outside the church, there is no salvation. Well, what does that mean? That means that the fullness of truth and sanctification subsist, as Second Vatican Council word, subsisted in the Catholic Church. And that elements of truth and sanctification could be found elsewhere, but only found in their fullness in the Catholic Church. Elements can be found elsewhere. Yes. Yeah. And that's kind of what Brooke's getting at. She didn't even know that was possible, I guess. Right. On the one hand, pre-Vatican II, let's say, if somebody wanted to get married, have a Catholic wedding, they were Catholic, they were marrying a non-Catholic. Today, we would do that just like any other wedding. The marriage rite has a section in it for marriage between a Christian and a non-Christian, or a Christian and a catechumen, or a Christian and whatever, uh, two Christians. But in the past, if you wanted to marry a non-Catholic person, the church would do it for you, but you'd be married in the rectory. Uh-huh. And it would be swift. You, two of you, two witnesses, maybe your parents, that's it. Wow. It used to be very frowned upon. It used to be totally not allowed. It used to be not allowed for us as Catholics to attend non-Catholic worship services or weddings or funerals. And you can see why. I don't know if that was right or wrong. I can't say that. I, I didn't live then. But I would say that a lot of these sort of concessions that have been made, some of which I think are helpful in terms of ecumenism, but some of these concessions which have been made have contributed to the conclusions of pluralism that are often drawn in ecumenical discussions. I mentioned a few episodes ago, or maybe it was the C.S. Lewis thing, I don't remember when I talked about it, but I was part of a reading group of Christian ministers, all under the age of 40, I would say, organized by a great friend of mine who is the pastor of kind of an evangelical, maybe non-denominational sort of church. Part of it was that each meeting we would pray at the beginning, and each guy would lead a prayer like from his own tradition, you know? And I got an email from one of the people who said that he could not in good conscience participate in prayer with me when in his mind, my salvation was in jeopardy, that I can't in good conscience pray with someone who is going to hell because I'm Catholic. It doesn't matter what denomination he belongs to for this purpose. And he said, I hope that you don't take this personally. 
And I said, well, Catholicism is not an appendage to my personality, so I do take it personally because it's a core part of who I am that you think is literally going to damn me to hell. (laughs) And that was a very difficult conversation. But here's why it really bothered me is because he concluded as basically our conversation on the phone together, the word he used was, we need to be co-belligerents in the vineyard. Hmm. We need to be co-belligerents in the vineyard. And he said, I just want to take the time to encourage you in your faith, in your ministry. And then I said, I'm really offended by that. I'm in fact more offended by what you just said than by the fact that you think I'm going to hell. I'm more offended that you are not trying to convert me right now. Mm. Because if you loved me and you're loving truly as Christ loves and you desire what Christ desires in your soul of scripture or worldview, which right in the scriptures it says that they may all be one, and yet you're opening, openly acknowledging that you think my salvation is in doubt and yet you are encouraging me down that path, you're encouraging me in my ministry of leading people to hell in your view? I said, that is what is truly offensive to me. Hmm. And the fact that you're willing to leave it there is simply bewildering. Simply bewildering. You reminded me of this pretty famous magician. He's an atheist. This is a YouTube video that went viral about five years ago. But he was struck by his encounter with this beautiful evangelical that came up to him at the end of a show. A fan, for sure a fan, but a sincere guy who handed him a Gideon Bible and just said a few really, really kind words that stuck with this famous atheist magician. And he hops on YouTube later that night, and he's just sitting there reflecting about how good, good, good this man was. He uses the word three times. And how genuine he was. And he basically says to the rest of the world, like, how much do you have to hate me to not evangelize me? How much do you have to hate me? He says, at a certain point, if you really do believe that I'm about to cross the street and there's a truck barreling down the highway, are you going to jump in front of me and and save me from the truck or not? How much do you have to hate me to not want to convert me? Yeah. Yeah. It's intense. And I don't think that that guy hated me, but I really was offended by that more than I was offended by his belief (laughs) I'm going to hell Um, (laughs) simply because I'm Catholic. But to be fair, my friend who organized it said, that is not an opinion that a lot of us share. And a lot of us have kind of privately called these couple of people out on that opinion because that is not an opinion that is held very widely. And actually the way that he went about it was really inappropriate, which I totally agree. So why would you be so gung-ho and then also not gung-ho about the things that really matter. And that's what ecumenism devolves into. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of every January, we celebrate the week of prayer for Christian unity. And so to Brooke's question, I would simply say that the best thing to do is simply to pray for Christian unity. Jesus, you want us all to be one, so please would you make us one. And remember that we pray that in a very intentional way in every single Mass, right after the Our Father. So that's an important thing is to pray. The second thing I would say is to listen. When I was applying for that hospital internship, when I met Reverend Rhonda, we were talking in the interview and she said, are you here to proselytize? And I didn't even know what that meant. Proselytize is like a very kind of violent form of evangelization in its own way, right? And no, I said, no, I had to ask her what it meant. And then I said, no. 
but I am here to be a witness to the fullness of the gospel and to the fullness of the tradition. And so I would just say, don't be ashamed about really what you believe. I recognize that there are maybe a lot of non-Catholic listeners to this podcast who might be uncomfortable with me saying things like that. I believe the Catholic church is the true church. And I've said this before, remember at the end of our live stream retreat, I would say to those who are non-Catholic Christians listening to this, please give the Catholic church the benefit of the doubt long enough to look into what we really teach and what we really believe and be open to it. To Catholics, I would say exactly what I said that retreat, which is please chill out. Please, please, please chill out and recognize that a lot of you who live in rigidity cannot and will not convert a parked car. I don't know how else to say that. (laughs) That the Christian life is a life of joy. It's a life of transformation. It is not a life of judgment. It is not a life of condemnation of other people. Yeah. Now, we do have to take a stand sometimes and say, what you are doing, my dear brother, my dear sister, is not in accord with a gospel life. Mm -hmm. So I'm calling you out and I'm calling you to conversion. That's one thing. But refusing to talk to people, refusing to engage with other people, refusing to consider the possibility that there might be some bit of good in what a person is proposing that you can pull out and use to direct a person, refusing to do those things is, I would say, is a sinful thing. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll just finish with Cardinal Cantalamesa's great line. Christianity does not begin by telling people what to do. Christianity begins by telling people what God has done for them in Christ. So Catholics, please chill out and do that more. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. There's so many thoughts swirling. That's a very good question. I want to get to one more question. One more question. Now, I'm I'm skipping over one about Catholic Church hierarchy and COVID-19 vaccines. You're welcome. Skipping right over that one. Thank you. But I want to go ahead and take a question from Caesar in Joliet, Illinois. Do Do you know this guy? Maybe. Okay, he wants to know, something I've pondered a lot lately is how Catholic believers often feel struck between choosing political ideologies to find a a middle ground or a calm ground in the middle. As a Catholic, how can we choose a political ideology, is the phrase he uses, when both sides tend to rip up the church in a sense? I'm only choosing this question. I think it's very connected to this question about ecumenism. What does it look like to be a Catholic in America in 2021? I mean, we're thankfully many months removed now from the last big election, right? So this doesn't feel like nearly as charged a question as it would have been six to eight months ago. But I've always found that to be very challenging, you know, to really find that virtuous middle ground in terms of politics that are ever-changing because circumstances are ever-changing. As a Catholic living in America, when I I do feel this profound allegiance to the absolute monarchy that is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, I just love that. There's something really inherent in me that wants to obey an authority I can trust. Maybe that's written into our childhood. Like we, we want that in our parents. We want that in our teachers and our coaches, certainly our pastors. We want it in the Pope. And yet here we are dealing with a lot of debate, a lot of dialogue, uh, and this is healthy, right? This is healthy politics when people are engaged in debate and dialogue about the best way to organize themselves and the best way to, to live life in common, right? And that has everything to do with the economy, has everything to do with social justice and 
just the realities of, of day-to-day life and culture, you know? These are important conversations. I suppose I'm rephrasing the question now, but how does a Catholic not get too swept up in ideologies and really live that virtuous middle ground that is the faith, that is the Catholic faith? By being a Catholic. That's it. What is the ultimate authority that you trust? Jesus. Okay. His church. Yeah. So the trust is not in flesh and blood. The trust is not in flesh and blood. There may be listeners who think Pope Francis is not really the Pope or who think he's the worst Pope of all time. And I just would encourage you to get a grip. And read history. And read the history of the church. That's that topic in a nutshell. The authority comes from the divine origin and guidance of the church. What I would say, though, to you, Caesar, is this, that a Christian will never be at home in any political party. And as soon as we begin to take up the mantle of a political party and begin to make it almost synonymous with what we believe as Christians, or this party espouses everything, or this is the party that you must belong to if you support, or if you're a believing Christian, then you're going to be, oof, you're going to be a little bit, oh, it's just not good. It's not good to do it. Because especially in the United States, I'm not sure if we have any international listeners. I think we have a few. In the United States, neither of the prevailing parties fully espouses the truths of the Christian faith. They just don't. They just don't. There are some glaringly obvious ways in each party that are glaringly obvious non-Christian aspects of each party's platform or the things that that dominant members of each of the parties espouse. And so what you saw in the November election was something very dangerous, which is on the one hand, a kind of taking up of, of certain Christian doctrines and either affirming them and then undoing them at the same time, or making Christianity to be something that it's not, the religion of nice, and can't we just be nice and polite? And then you had the other side of a kind of political messianism that one candidate is the savior of America, is the salvation of this um, of this land. No, mm-mm, <laughs> sorry, because as soon as you, you say, I'm a Christian, but I also believe that this political figure is the salvation of my land, then you have to pick one of those things because they don't go together. Mm-hmm. They don't go together. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. So Christians will always be without a home in the political arena. And that's something that we have to begin to appreciate and not really bemoan. We're not called to make the political party the home for the Christian. We're called to yearn for the Christian homeland, for the true leader, for the the yeah, the leader of nations who will guide us. The true philosopher king. Well, yeah. Yeah. Back to C.S. Lewis. Here we are longing for the homeland. Yes, to Narnia and the North. So that's what I would say. But these are very obviously nuanced points. Each one of the things I just said could be a two-hour podcast in itself. It's hard to just lob these bombs out there and then walk away. I'm sure that there are some right now who are yelling at their radios or whatever, or who are we're going to get emails about it. And I hope so. I hope that's true. But I think the basic principle is this, is that when Paul says Jesus is Lord— Like, that's not a joke. (laughs) Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he's the one who's made promises to us that when, not if, when the American empire fails hundreds of years from now, maybe, I hope so. I hope it's not like now. I'm not in the mood for that. Mm -hmm. Like Rome, 
the most powerful, influential, prosperous society fell. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do then? What are you going to do then? That's the question, I think. Yeah. What will be left for me then? If all of this was taken away, which it will be inevitably, either through death or through something else, what will be left for you? That's the question to ask. It's a big question. Caesar, it's a good question though. If you want to be a Christian in society today, then you have to be a Christian mm. and believe that true power comes from on high and the true homeland is somewhere else. Father Ryan, as always, it's a joy and it's a privilege. We've got one more episode with you, season six of the podcast, and it's going to be straight listener questions the entire time, much like this episode. And we've got so many more to go this? and so much more this? lemonade. This is my drink. clinking lemonade. And we won't play a game at the beginning. Oh, come on. Well, we'll see what we can come up with. I might force your hand. We'll see you in a few weeks. Peace. Just want to point out how difficult it was for me to tell a lie. God bless you. Bye-bye. Listening to Joy by Scott Mulvihill. It's available everywhere digital music is streamed. You know, I hope you've enjoyed this listener inspired episode. Obviously, I love hearing what's on your heart and what's on your mind. And in a few weeks, actually, way sooner than you could possibly imagine, we're making a really, really big announcement about the future of Love Good. And I'm going to be very eager to hear your feedback specifically for your inspirations and your own life wisdom to help guide us moving forward. Because at this point, we're taking a massive, massive stand, as you're all very, very aware, against social media. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that social media is inherently evil and that everybody should get off of it. But I can tell you for now, it's time for Love Good to get off. And we made that announcement a few months ago now. And it's been wonderful. Oh my goodness, the freedom of not worrying about my home feed or specifically the Love Good feed because I'm actually still on social media, but Love Good is not. And you guys have been tremendously encouraging ever since that day that we decided, all right, we're done with Instagram. We're done with Facebook, at least for now. But this next announcement is one that will probably bring you more joy than you could ever have imagined. And it's going to make a lot of sense to those of you who have been a part of Love Good from day one. We're making that announcement in the next few weeks, actually at the very end of October. All right. So spoiler alert, be listening to my last episode with Marisol that will release on October 26th. You're the first people to find out about that. But I wanted you guys to begin thinking and just praying as we transition yet again into a new and I would say deeper version and expression of love good than ever before. Uh, Know that we are so appreciative of all of your support. Thank you for tuning into the podcast, and especially to our patrons out there. We cannot do it without you. Nothing but love and prayers from our little studio outside of Tampa, Florida. 
And uh, we'll hope to see you soon. And in the meantime, let's be praying for each other. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Love Good Podcast. Share this episode link on social media, leave us a review, and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. You'll start enjoying our premium content and seasonal packages that not only raise your standard for music, books, and art, but that also inspire you to evangelize culture through beauty. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.